Good evening. What a blessing it is to be here again tonight for another period of worship to our God. Tonight we're continuing our uh, question and answer series. And just a reminder, if you have a Bible-based question uh, that you would like for me to uh, take a stab at, you can write that down and insert it in the question box, little wooden box on the back of the auditorium. Uh, and I want, want to say before I get started, we just recently, and this is a really good thing, um, we had uh, an influx of questions uh, by you guys uh, that have been submitted, about uh, 15 of them or so, all at once. I usually get two or three at a time, but uh, 15 just all, all come in, and that's, that's great. Uh, so what I'm going to be doing, uh, we don't have uh, time to take... Uh, uh, take all of those uh, in, in a sermon format. So what I'm going to be doing is, is uh, doing a write-up uh, on some of those. Um, and Allison, our secretary, she does a great job with our bulletin. Uh, she's going to be putting those in the bulletin. She put two uh, questions in there. Uh, and if you, if you inserted a question in the box and I don't do a sermon on it, be looking in the bulletin uh, for that uh, because I could quite possibly do uh, answer that in written form. Uh, but tonight, we're going to be looking at two questions uh, that are going to encompass the, uh, our, our time tonight, and we'll just uh, get right down to it. The first question is this, according to Titus chapter 2 and other scriptures, should a mother work outside the home? According to Titus 2 and other scriptures, should a mother work outside the home? Uh, now, just go ahead and take out your Bible and turn there with me. That's going to be our base text uh, as we attempt to answer this question. Titus chapter 2. We're going to look at specifically verses 3 and 5. Uh, it's, it's a struggle for families uh, to determine if the wife should work outside the home, especially when kids are involved. This is a question often asked. In, uh, in families and uh, in child-rearing. Uh, so I want to look at, of course, the Bible, Scripture, uh, to uncover its wisdom in the matter and not our own opinions. Uh, so first, let's go to Titus chapter 2, since that's uh, what the question specifically addresses, as was read for us a moment ago, and uh, see what it says there. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse Three. And let's read verses 3 through 5. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be Reviled. So, with this passage in view, the question is, is it legitimate for a wife, for a mother, to work outside the home? Since the text specifically says, uh, submissive to their own husbands, working at home. Now, it's proven to be very bad Bible exegesis to automatically assume what a passage means without looking at its wider context. Uh, I, I believe that understanding the background situation 
in Titus chapter 2 is critical to understanding the heart of the intended meaning that the Apostle Paul is communicating here. Now, just a general overview of the book of Titus. The book of Titus was written by the Apostle Paul to his quote-unquote brother in the faith, that's Titus, whom he left in Crete uh, on one of his missionary journeys. Um, he, and he left him there uh, for several reasons, as we see within the very first chapter of the book. One of those being that Titus uh, was left in Crete so that he may appoint elders in the church there. And that's why Paul gives Titus a list of qualifications of elders that are there in Titus chapter 1. Now, a second reason was so that Titus may uh, be able to put to silence the legalistic Judaizers, uh, quote-unquote, the, the circumcision party, uh, that were that that uh, the text said says were upsetting entire families by their teaching. Uh, so it was uh, an apologetic reason, uh, partly that uh, Paul left Titus in Crete to defend the faith, to defend the gospel, um, and all of its purity. And there's a third reason that we see in chapter uh, one uh, why. Paul left Titus and Crete, and that was to teach sound doctrine due to the immorality of the culture in that area. And, and it's that reason, number three, that I just said that I think is very important in our discussion as we attempt to answer this very important question. So let's flip back a few verses to Titus chapter 1, and let's look at verses 12 through 16. Titus chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. Paul says in verse 12, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit, unfit for any good work. So in the first part of that passage, as we just read, Paul calls out the culture of that day and labels it as a group of quote-unquote liars, as a group of evil beasts, and as a group of lazy gluttons, the Cretans, the people within this uh, region. And, and Paul commands Titus to rebuke uh, that kind of a culture sharply so that they may give up their evil and wicked ways and become sound, become sound in faith. Then in chapter 2, he exhorts Titus to teach the Christian community there to be countercultural and embrace, quote-unquote, sound doctrine. Now, the idea behind sound doctrine, and another way that you could possibly translate this, is healthy teaching. Healthy 
teaching. It's the kind of doctrine, the kind of teaching that's pure. It's pure teaching from God that brings about life, that brings about purity, that brings about stability, that brings about peace, and that brings about God's ultimate glorification. That's sound doctrine, healthy teaching. And Paul tells Titus specifically in this context what sound doctrine is what it looks like, what healthy teaching, what sound doctrine looks like. Uh, let's, re- let's go back to Titus 2 and read verses 1 through 10 in its entirety. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive, to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Okay, so sound doctrine, as we see in this context, it has to do with the kind of conduct with a kind of conduct that is set apart from the conduct of the surrounding culture. Sound doctrine is what it looks like, is older men modeling in their conduct, in their behavior, a sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled life that's marked by a love for God and a love for others. Likewise, sound doctrine, as Paul says in in this text, what it looks like in practice is older women training younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to live a life that's characterized by purity, uh, that that illuminates kindness, uh, and, and, and to be hard workers in the home supporting their husband's leadership and sacrificing for the benefit of the children, which is in direct opposition to the conduct of the women in that culture who embrace, remember chapter 1, who embrace this attitude of laziness, lazy gluttons, and neglect toward their husbands and their children. So, what I think we can conclude from this is that the main thrust of Paul's admonition to Titus in this discourse of 
uh, sound doctrine is to help the Christian community in Crete to live holy, to live set-apart lives, to be counter-cultural, to live in a way that is different than the surrounding culture and embrace sound doctrine that has to do with conduct in this context. Healthy teaching, sound doctrine, which brings about life and joy and satisfaction and God's ultimate glory, pointing people to the glory of God when they embrace such doctrine. Now, notice that Paul's admonition to Titus in chapter 2, verse 5, to teach the older women to teach the younger women to be, quote-unquote, working at home is almost paralleled with the laziness of the culture around them, as is communicated in chapter 1. And the Bible, as we know, has a lot to say about laziness. Read Proverbs, um, in the New Testament, many, many places uh, that, that talk about uh, uh, slothfulness and, and laziness uh, and, uh, and how it brings dishonor to God. It doesn't glorify God when a person uh, doesn't commit to hard-working labor. It dishonors God. It doesn't bring Him glory. So, I believe Paul is essentially saying in his discourse of sound doctrine, he, he is essentially saying that holiness is seen through a woman's loyal diligence to maintaining the health of her home. When you see a woman working hard, working hard to love her husband and love her children, not neglecting them, what you're witnessing before your very eyes is a glimpse into the holiness and uniqueness of God Himself. Now, this, I believe, teaches us a major biblical principle concerning the role of women. God designed women to be managers of their households who affirm their husband's leadership and support him and, and who work hard to love their children and give them the care that they need. And you can see this principle uh, all throughout Scripture. One of the glimpses of this you can see in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14. Uh, we're not going to parse all that out, but it says in verse 14 of 1 Timothy chapter 5, so I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. And I think that you can see that principle most clearly uh, in Proverbs 31, and looking at the, uh, the Proverbs 31 woman. It look, I'm, I want to read a, a longer text, Proverbs chapter 31, starting in verse 10, uh, looking at verse 10 through 28. Proverbs 31 Verse 10 through 28. Starting in verse 10, it says, An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. 
She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. Works with willing hands. She's a hard worker, in other words. 14, she is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff, and her, hand, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of her kindness is on her tongue. In verse 27, notice this. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. So, one of the major pictures that we see uh, in Proverbs 31, uh, through the Proverbs 31 woman, is that this woman does everything in her power to bless her home. There, in essence, there isn't a lazy bone in this woman's body. She does everything so that, uh, so that her home may be uh, lifted up, so that, the, so, so that needs may be provided, which is in direct contrast to the Cretans of the day um, that uh, we see within Titus chapter 1. But this woman in Proverbs chapter 31, she's fiercely loyal. She's fiercely devoted to the support of her husband, to the nurturing of her children, uh, and that kind of conduct, that kind of, uh, that kind of behavior is a, is a behavior and a conduct that we see Scripture praises. It's praiseworthy in a woman, and it glorifies God in the most beautiful way. And I believe that that's the idea that Paul has in mind in Titus 2. When a Christian woman rejects the cultural norm of laziness, as we see within the context here, and becomes a fearless, submissive servant to her husband and children, she glorifies the Word of God and helps those around her to see it in all of its grandeur and beauty. But when she becomes like the culture around her and neglects her husband and her family, then the Word of God, and this is what it literally says in, um, in Titus 2, then the Word of God is reviled. It's, or another way to say that, is blasphemed, or another translation says dishonored. Her actions tell, another, another way to say this is that her actions... Uh, of, uh, of this kind of a conduct, it, it, it reveals to uh, the world that the Word of God, when, when, she, when, when she behaves in a way 
uh, that is, is lazy or idle um, or, or doesn't live up to the, uh, to the ideal of the Proverbs 31 woman or the sound teaching, the sound doctrine uh, that we see in Titus chapter 2. Her actions, when a woman does that, it tells the world that the Word of God is not transformative and it does not produce life and holiness. Okay, so <laughs> what does all that mean? When, when we look at the wider context of Titus chapter 2, and here's the heart, I guess, of, um, of, of, of what I would say. Uh, when we look at the wider context of Titus chapter 2 and, and the biblical vision, and we're actually going to talk a little bit about this um, in, our, uh, in our series on, on the home, uh, but when we look at the biblical vision, the, the roles that God uh, have, have laid out for women uh, in, in the entirety of the Bible, and specifically Titus chapter 2, I don't believe that Paul is laying down here a universal rule that prohibits women from having jobs outside the home. I think that Based upon the context, that goes beyond the original intended meaning. I don't think that's the heart of what Paul is trying to communicate within this text. However, at the same time, I do believe that he's giving us a very important, biblically informed, spirit-informed principle uh, that is universal within Christendom sound doctrine, healthy teaching, in, in other words, what, what life-giving character under the reign of God, what it looks like. And that principle is, is this, a woman brings honor and glory to the Word of God and embraces a life of holiness when she is fiercely devoted to the nurturing of her children and to the support of her husband. And that devotion is seen in her management of the home. And that, that task, it's, uh, our, our culture likes to um, make that seem menial or, or degrade that in some way. But that, that task, that calling of, uh, of, of a God-designed uh, woman's role, it, it's not menial. It's not degrading, as, as so many people try to make it out to be. It's a woman's high calling from Jesus Christ to serve her home in the same way that Jesus serves His church. Now, that isn't to, uh, I know this topic is very weighty, <laughs> and much more could be said. Um, that isn't all, at all intended to overload mothers with guilt. I don't think that's the spirit that's being communicated within this, this text, and that's not what I'm trying to do uh, within, within this lesson tonight. Maybe you are doing the absolute best you can, and that's what God calls you to do to do the best you can. God's not telling you to you and your family to do something that you do not have the capability of doing. And at the same time, I don't think this is, this is intended for us to, 
to look around at other families uh, with contempt because their circumstance might be different than our circumstance. It comes down to this. Each family, each household should sit down together and, and honestly look at these principles. Um, look at what the Bible teaches about the role of men, about the role of women. Sit down and honestly, honestly ask, how can we, in our given circumstance and situation, embrace these biblical principles and live for the ultimate glory of God? How can we live in a way that magnifies the Word of God and shows the world that it truly is life-giving, that it truly is transformative to the deepest part of the human soul? So that's what I would say for that question. Uh, okay, so question number two, uh, and this is another very good question. If we are having, um, if we are having a bad morning on Sunday, and cannot concentrate on the Lord's Supper, should we still take it or not take of it until our attitude and thoughts can be solely centered on Christ? Very, very good question. Probably a question that. Uh, a lot of us have, have asked, I'm, I'm sure. Let's open up the Word of God and see what it has to say. Take, it, take out your Bible with me and turn to 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's read verses 27 through 29. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 29. Because this is the passage that uh, the person asking this great question uh, probably has in view. Verse 27 of chapter 11. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, that sounds very serious, and it's because it is. It is very serious. Uh, the, the Lord's Supper, it's not to be taken uh, lightly, flippantly in, in any way. The Lord's Supper, it, it truthfully lies at the center of our worship and adoration given to God because when we partake of it, we're remembering together in unison the one whose death shows us the insurmountable value and worth of God. So, an important question uh, to ask before we get to the heart of uh, this question, an important question to ask when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is this, what does unworthy manner mean? What, what does it mean to take of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner? How can I, how can I take of the Lord's Supper in a way that's not worthy? in an unworthy manner. Now, I believe that the passage itself um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it gives us some examples 
of how the Lord's Supper can be taken in an unworthy manner. Let's look at a few of those. Look with me in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18. Verse 18 says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. Now, a, a, a manner, uh, as this passage says, a manner that causes division, as, as was the case at the church in Corinth here, as we look at the context, a manner that causes division. When I take of the Lord's Supper, uh, by the way of the context, is an unworthy manner, taking it in a way that divides. Uh, also look with me in verse 21 of chapter 11. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. So, a manner that is self-indulgent, and, and neglects the needs of those, uh, of those around um, is also specifically stated as an unworthy manner, as a way that the Lord's Supper could be taken unworthily. Um, also look with me in verse 23 through 25 in 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Uh, so, uh, another way that, that, uh, that is... It is um, of what it means to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. A manner that is not really in remembrance of Him, but has some kind of other motivation in mind, is an unworthy manner. Uh, also look in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Likewise, a manner that doesn't announce the glory of His death when we partake of it, is described as an unworthy manner. Verse 28, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. A manner that's not self-examining, that doesn't look internally, is an unworthy manner. And then lastly in verse 29, for if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. And then lastly, and there, there could, could be more, uh, but this is just what the passage says, uh, but a manner that does not honor the body and blood of Christ is an unworthy manner. Now, what is all that? How, how do we put all that into a concise uh, way to understand that? Now, at, at the heart, I believe, of all those things that we just read, at the heart of those, at the core, lies this idea. Making the Lord's Supper about anything other than Jesus and His sacrifice for our sins and a failure to approach the table with a spirit that's characterized by humility, 
a spirit that recognizes its own sin and unworthiness, a spirit of, uh, a, a spirit of, um, of thanksgiving, a spirit that fails to approach the table with thanksgiving, that, that rejoices uh, because of what Jesus has done and his sacrifice, and a spirit that comes to the table and, uh, and, or, or a person that, that comes to the table and has this spirit uh, that, um, that they fail to be reverent in, uh, that, that sees him as holy that sees him as unique, that sees him as set apart, that is eating in an unworthy manner. So let me say that again. Making the Lord's Supper about anything other than Jesus and his sacrifice for our sins and a failure to approach the table with a spirit of humility, thanksgiving, and reverence, according to the passage, is eating in an unworthy manner. Okay, so now back to the question. Let's look at this question again uh, with, with that in view. What if, what if I'm having a bad morning? Uh, what if by some kind of circumstance, and, and I, I don't know the specific circumstances that, that this person is, has in mind, uh, but just generally, what if, what if I have a bad morning, and I'm having trouble concentrating. I'm having trouble focusing on the Lord's Supper. What should I do? Well, I want to give some real-life scenarios. I'm not sure exactly what this person has in mind, but I want to give some real-life scenarios, situations that I have actually seen and witnessed happen um, to put this question into perspective a little bit more. What, what, if, what if a mother, say, holding a baby uh, during the prayer for the bread, uh, mother's holding the baby, and then all of a sudden the baby just spits up all over her? I've had that happen to me <laughs> several times. And, and it breaks concentration. Another scenario, what if one of the men carrying the trays tips and spills the fruit of the vine all over a woman's new white dress, uh, which I've actually seen happen before? Uh, what if you've been suffering from some kind of a migraine uh, and, and, and you have these headaches and your level of concentration isn't where it normally is on Sunday mornings? And, and, and likewise, you know, what if uh, what, what, what if you get a call uh, before church, um, someone informing you that your childhood best friend uh, had passed away, and, and it makes it more difficult uh, to, to concentrate? Um, now, again, I'm not sure uh, what this person has in mind, but just trying to give context here, um, this, is, this is what I would, I would say uh, to, uh, to, to this. Sometimes... Things inevitably happen that break our focus in the moment, and that's true with all of life. And I don't think, I don't believe that it's in the spirit of this passage to communicate that a temporary lapse in focus disqualifies us from taking the Lord's Supper in the moment. However, at the same time, there very well might be some kind of a circumstance in which it would be better 
for you to refrain and take it at another time when you are able um, to place Christ at the center and have your focus where it needs to be. The guiding principle uh, for this, um, and, and this is something I, I don't think that you can give a black and white concrete answer to uh, because situations are different. Uh, what we do is we guide our lives on wisdom and principles. The guiding principle here I think is found within the passage that we just discussed. When the Lord's Supper, here's the principle, when the Lord's Supper becomes about anything other than Jesus Christ's sacrifice for our sins, and when we do not approach the table with a spirit of humility and thanksgiving and reverence, then we are eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, and it might be a good idea uh, to refrain in the moment. So I hope that, I hope that is, is helpful, um, and that's where we will conclude tonight. Uh, so just want to offer the, inv- the Lord's invitation uh, to anyone that may have need, if there are any, anyone tonight uh, that needs prayers, uh, that need uh, uh, people to be uh, praying for them and in their life. Um, also, if um, you have not obeyed the gospel, we urge you tonight to obey the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can believe on Him, repent of your sins. You can come forward in a moment and confess faith in Him and begin a relationship with Christ in baptism tonight. Why don't you come forward tonight if you have any need as we stand and as we sing.